Well, next here on SFM Literature, well, if you thought the Winelands was all about drinking, well, think again. I had the opportunity recently to visit Wellington, where I attended a course called Create Your Plate and Eat It, which, in a manner of speaking, we did. But here's the story. I'm going to do it a little bit like a TV cooking show, where we're going to go into the oven and we'll get the cake coming out finished, you know? <laughs> But... I have made things already that you're going to be glazing later on today and that you will be able to decorate yourself and we're hoping to fire those things tonight and you'll have those tomorrow at lunchtime. In his studio, Herod Swart addresses an audience of novice ceramicists, absolute beginners, every one of them. How we actually work here is to make all our prototypes in plaster of Paris. So we carve the models. It's quite an easy one to sort of pass around. It's actually solid plaster. And then we carve them out and then we make the molds from that. And then basically once the molds are made, we actually fill the molds with clay. Now the clay is mixed with chemical that makes the particles in the clay actually the, they repel one another and then it becomes runny. So it's not runny because it's got too much water, it's actually runny because of the chemicals that's in there. Um, if you add too much water it would actually make them crack because of the shrinkage because then the particles pull together again. They're here to learn how to create a plate and eat it the title of a creative weekend away, whereby delegates get to learn a whole lot of stuff from masters of their arts in Wellington. We've got an amazing property in Wellington and I don't necessarily feel as I'm living in town even. The property is 300 years old this year and I think all that history is actually sort of affects one very often and it's actually very inspiring sometimes when you see how people used to live and the way of life that you can have. Harrod and his partner Anthony Harris have been working in ceramics for years, clearly successfully so, because they supply Conran stores worldwide, as well as some of the leading interior designers here in South Africa. Their studio and home in an old historic homestead in town is actually something of a design hotspot in itself, filled with an extraordinary collection of artworks. I left college and I was quite intrigued with like classical art and that, but I couldn't collect it because it wasn't available and it was expensive. So I started collecting African stuff, you know, sort of African parts and artwork and eventually that led more to like Eastern stuff and Chinese and Indian a lot because that's more easily available and you get very beautiful stuff and very sort of like temple stuff, things that's got great meaning for people. And I think that's also been a very important thing to have things that actually belongs to people otherwise, other than having objects that are just functional. Well, functional or not, some things like the mighty bleached skull of an elephant are certainly original. I swapped that for a sculpture I did with tattoos on. I did a torso of a figure and I engraved the whole figure in tattoo-like fashion. And I swapped that for the elephant because at that stage I was into skulls. And I like the fact that the skull also had a history. You know, it was found in the game reserve. And that's important. It's like a big statement. I like big statements and that as well. Sort of in your face. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the studio, what were the students actually learning? Well, we kind uh, of decorated the existing slip cast um, objects and we cleaned them up, all the seam lines. And after that, we could sort of smooth it out and also then decorate it if you wanted to or engrave and kind of do a finishing technique on that. Little Clutie. But had she done anything like this before? 
had a basic understanding of the process. Um, I've studied art um, at university, so I've been exposed to it. I didn't particularly take um, ceramic lessons, but I understand the process. So I've never uh, made my own pottery, but I've definitely understood the process before. But over and above the ceramic lesson, there was a lot to fit into this weekend. And very soon the party was back on the road, in a bus, headed for the farmlands. <laughs> we are a artisanal goat cheese farm uh, making cheese, hard cheeses and soft goat cheeses and we milk, what did we milk, 150 goats this season uh, hoping to go up to about 200 goats next season uh, unfortunately our milk season is coming to an end because all the goats are pregnant I can show you where we milk Unfortunately, they've already finished milking, so you can't see the actual milk process, but Gerald will explain it to you. And you can see through the window into the cheese-making area. It's very small. We're just about at capacity for the amount of milk we're producing. And we might look at some renovations in the next year or so to expand a bit again. Marion Hemmers is the owner of Foxenberg Estate, where they make cheese, yogurt, grow mushrooms and primarily keep goats. Milking is 150 and uh, the little ones, the babies are 77, so it's 227. In peak season it's two and a half litres per goat, so that's about 300 and say 375 litres. And we make say 20 kilograms of cheese, maybe 25, it depends. And then yogurt and salt cheeses. The yogurt maybe 20 liters a day. And the cream cheese and that kind of cheeses. Yeah. I don't know how much do they go, but it's maybe a couple of kilos. Gerald van der Merwe in the milking shed. But later, some of the Foxenberg mushrooms were put to good use. We're just going to slice this up into... He says the what he uh, what he does he uh, he either freezes it or he um, or he dries it. Okay, been mushroom season now. You know, it's autumn. Mushrooms usually come out after the first rain, so uh, I don't think he can keep up with uh, with, with 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 the drying process. He generally dries it in his oven. So uh, I'm sure he's been he's been quite busy picking at the moment to uh, to dry. There's actually no problem with uh, with the frozen mushroom. If you're going to be if you're going to be using it in, in dishes, you know, not just raw, then uh, there's absolutely no no problem with uh, with using a frozen mushroom. Johan van Skalkveik, chef and owner of Twist the Restaurant, demonstrating there the art of chopping in his kitchen. But first, he took the party to meet some of his other suppliers. Uh, grapes are our main crop, but we also do the olives and the olive oil. That's that comes second. Then we do buchu. It's a it's a herb. Dried or fresh, it, it grows here naturally. Yeah. So depending on the order, it's different from things like grapes or peaches. When when they ripe, you got to pick them. Buchu just grows. Yeah. Uh, some dried apples, uh, pecan nuts, macadamia nuts, almonds, dried pears, uh, dried figs, and then for home use, obviously vegetables, but not for sale. Oh, oh and from the grapes, we produce lots of stuff. Uh, first is is wine, cabernet. And then we do a port in years which are small years. In other words, where there's not a big crop, then I tend to make port. And then from the skins and the pips, we make the grappa. From the juice, we make brandy. And then we also do a cask strength brandy. Edmund Utley is one very seriously organic farmer producing a wide range of products. But capturing everyone's attention were the activities in his cellar. So just to give you an, an opportunity to, to smell how the brandy changes. This one here... 
is uh, is what we call a medium aged brandy. That's 2008. So that's what six years roughly. You will smell it starting to smell like it. Well, it's it's at full strength. Yeah. So you can <laughs> expect it to be full strength. And then that picks up flavor from the wood. And uh, if you just compare what you smelt outside, uh, no wood obviously outside, just fresh fruitiness. Uh, well, if you come through, then everybody can have a chance to, to smell there. But you're beginning to pick up vanillas. You're beginning to pick up a little bit of uh, oxidation character, the nice maturation. So that's, a, that's what we call an adolescent brandy. Okay. And then if you... So clearly some of his products are a bit of a class act. We're not allowed to call it cognac, as you know, but it's the equivalent. It's made in the same way, and it's, it's uh, the equivalent of an EXO. Exos usually start at about twelve hundred a bottle, cheapest. Yeah, and this sells for two fifty, so good value. Good value, sure. So, how's it made? We start with grapes, which are picked green. Normally, when you make brandy, you pick them at sort of normal ripeness, but we pick them green. In cognac, the grapes just don't ripen. They uh, they're quite far north in France, and it's quite cold there. So, by having the grapes green you have a lot of acid and not very much sugar so if you think about it you need sugar to make alcohol so the riper the grapes the more alcohol you get but in fact acid protects the grapes during the distillation and then point where I take it from the heads to the hearts and from the hearts to the tails changes according to the recipe it's a little bit like taking an egg you can turn it into a souffle or you can turn it into an, an omelette. You start with the same thing, just cook it slightly differently. Now, the same with, with making brandy. Basic principle is the same. Take wine, distill it, take your product and mature it. But the flavor that you get is going to depend on the actual method of the distillation. Brandy notwithstanding, the poultry on the farm were out to make their presence felt in numbers. W enough. <laughs> Um, as uh, Rockefeller uh, answered when he was asked how much is enough, he answered just a little more. Whereas we have enough. <laughs> and eggs? Enough of those too? Oh yeah. Uh, according to season, of course, these things are not kept indoors and under lights. And so in the, in the depths of the winter, we tend not to get any. And in the springtime, we get a flush. But we still have some chickens laying now. Enough so that we rarely have to buy eggs. It happens occasionally, but rarely, yeah. But the tour wasn't over yet, and next stop was to see a product for which Wellington is world famous. The stock is a, a wine farmer, I have to buy a grafted vine, because the roots of the, the mother plant, maybe the Chardonnay or the Semillon Blanc are, are getting a disease, a mite that sucks out the juices of the roots, and then you have to, you have to graft that Chardonnay or Semillon Blanc, have to graft on, on a rootstock that are resistant to this mite, and that's why each vine in South Africa is grafted because the, the mother plant won't last. The, the Biloxera will kill off the, the vine within about two to three years. That's the reason for grafting. That's the reason why we supply the grafted vines to, to the market in South Africa. Petro Milan is a wine farmer and nurseryman in Wellington. He specializes in stockies. You first have to cultivate the rootstock. That also is a long process of virus cleaning. That's a very important. And then you have to multiply that in rot houses. 
and you have to transplant it into fields to, to multiply it again. You can, you can get a lot of cuttings, like 30 centimeters pieces of rootstock that you can graft. Whatever you want to, the farmer is, is, is ordering. If you want to mine, wine, you order a wine cultivar that you have to graft onto this rootstock, resistant rootstock, or the table grape farmers as well. Whatever they cultivar they want to produce, like they order it from us, the nurserymen, and we graft it onto the rootstock. And uh, you need a lot of that cuttings. You, you plant about 250,000 per hectare because you can only get out about 50% from what you graft. You can eventually the next year sell to the producer. But how come Wellington is at the centre of this industry? That's a good question, but traditionally we was um, our grandfather start to graft. But at this moment, about 90% of crafted vines for South African market come out of Wellington. Yeah, we are the, the main supplier of the vines all over South Africa, to every region. Uh, even to, uh, to Namibia, and some but not much are exported also to African countries, to the Middle East and uh, South America. Milan is obviously a man who knows not only his stockies, but his wine and the land. I'm the sixth generation in, in Wellington on this farm. Yeah, grown up here, and that's where my life will end. <laughs> but aside from being a farmer, Blan is also co-owner of the small historic hotel, the Odehex, where the Create Your Plate Party stage. The building is 216 years old, and my husband bought the farm in 1997 because of the water. The water that flows through these furrows come from the mountains, from Bain's Kloof. It's called Harvey's Water. Uh, all the farmers on this route, as they say in Afrikaans, has a laibeert, where they can use the water as they wish and as many as or as much as they want to. So we decided to divert this water furrow through the garden and then I also designed the garden. And then the water um, obviously goes into this dam and then we also use it, he pumps it up to our farm across the hill where we also use it as irrigation. So there's a lot of water coming from the mountains. And then the house, we rented it out and it wasn't in a very good state so we decided one day that we must convert it into a little guest house. <laughs> and then as we started and the architect started and we went through all the heritage teething problems we decided we must rather do it properly and try to get some revenue from it. Marlene Milan is co-owner of the hotel. And the name? Odehex? This area is Hexberg. That's where the H-E-X comes from. And then because it's such an old house and I wanted to have a French flair, I thought maybe older in French is better than older in Afrikaans. And then after we decided on the name, Two people came to me and told me that Aude actually means in French water of. So it can either be water of X or it can be Aude X, a very old French-like house. Yeah. One of the features of this little hotel is a spectacular view across the dam to the mountains beyond. Mountains, yeah. That's very interesting and very nice. It's got the most beautiful sunsets. And then recently I also learned that there's a, only two times a year you can see a, a figure in the mountains. They call it the Harvaqua Man. But it's huge and you can only see it from quarter to six up to about ten past six in April and then again in September. Um, which makes a figure of an old, it looks like a busman, um, walking away with something on his back and a, a kiri in his left hand and uh, it's the shadows that the mountain makes that 
to create this figure, so it's quite unique. A great place from which to view the changing face of the Hawakwa mountain man is from the floating deck in the middle of the dam. That's my husband's brainchild. When we were finished with the building and the renovating, he said that we must use this water for something else as well. So he and the architect um, and the builder designed the... It's a floating jetty. It, it's on polystyrene compressed, very high-density blocks. Each block can take two tons, and there's, I think, 34 blocks. So the engineer said that the jetty can take 60 tons, so that's quite, quite heavy. Yeah, and just to use the water and to be unique and have something that nobody else has in the region and then it's uh, the sunsets on west and but on the eastern side it is the most beautiful reflection of light and and sometimes even in the in the dam it's just as pink as the real mountain so it's beautiful and it's because of all this natural beauty and resident talent that the create your plate course was born it's the Wineland Vitamins, a pr uh, project, a dream that I had and Trudy were stays in, and it's strange that it just happened. The whole thing got together this year. I was asked to help at the tourism office. Being a gallery owner, I thought, nah, you know, it's a lot of work. But then I thought, you know, I just love the valley and I want more people to actually experience the valley. And I thought of Louis Janssen van Feren and Hardy Willifier in France and what they were doing with their wonderful uh, creative weeks. I thought, well, why can't we do it here? People spend a fortune to go to France. They can just come to Wellington and it's really beautiful. We've got the wine, we've got the vineyards, we've got the olives, we've got the fruit, we've got everything going. Plus, we have the artists and very creative people writers, ceramicists, sculptors, painters, they all live here. So Trudy and I got together and said, listen, let's put this whole thing together. So Wineland Vitamins, the name, Vitamins for the Soul. So people can break away from the city, come here for either a week-long breakaway course or a weekend. They stay in top hotels and they enjoy the lovely food from all the different restaurants. Plus, they can cook for a week with a top chef or they can do ceramics or they can paint. Yes, and that was just the idea for people to break away, take a bit of a sabbatical and nurture your soul. So that's what it entails. Anna Gretel Rasmus is the owner of the Breitenbach Gallery in the centre of town. And it was she, together with Trudy Oosthuizen, who came up with the concept of these courses, of which there are a number in the pipeline. And the shorter ones, we thought, especially over the winter time, because it really gets cold here in the mountains, something very cosy around a fire, and immediately we thought, ah, a writing course. I've spoken to different writers, poets as well, and they're very keen to do workshops. So people will come in, the artist will read her poetry, they'll discuss it, and then obviously she'll help them and guide them in writing a poem or a piece of prose. That's a short course, two-day thing. Still, you know, it's, it's nurturing for the soul. Then we have four long week courses that we're planning per season per year. The one that I'm really excited about is um, in September. Uh, I've spoken to the, the artist Andris Ghos. 
He does fantastic painting courses. And then I spoke to Mariette Kraffel. Uh, she's a chef. She's an, a darling of a character. So she'll be handling the cooking course as well. Oh, and incidentally, yesterday I also speak, spoke to a man from Johannesburg. That's really going to be a bit of a spiritual journey. It's more about guidance and, yeah, and we want to combine that with yoga because we have the yoga temple here. And because of the town's literary history, there's also an emphasis on writers. The house and the place where we're sitting, this was the boarding house that belonged to Brayton Breitenbach's parents, Ernoy and Obas. And it was literally a boarding house. They had boarders and then obviously the children stayed here as well. And Brayton. They sold the place, it got run down. And then people from the community stuck together and they started getting funds, lotto. And they built up this whole art center where I am now. And yes, this is where we are, the Breitenbach Center. We have a book a bookshop, we have a tea shop, Pilates, lots of people in silk screen printing, uh, cement works, sewing, and there's a theater. So we're quite active. But the thing that gets most people up and out of their comfort zone to try something new is food. And what got the Create Your Plate party really going was a chance to get inside Johann von Skulkveig's kitchen. I'm running my knife against my fingers, so there's no there's no risk of chopping the fingers off. Look, knife skills. I think it's probably one of the first things that you learn at chef school. Yeah. Is uh, um, and you know people go, oh well, you know they want to chop faster. It's not that. It's just that working in a kitchen environment, it is all about timing, and uh, you've got so much to do that your, your your speed is just that much faster if you've got proper knife skills. So it's not just about the flair, it's, uh, it's, it actually serves a purpose as well. Okay, then we've got these, we've got these brilliant, I mean, just look at this mushroom that we got from, uh, oh, wow. from Edmund early on. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a proper porcini, huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to smell that. Huh? Oh. That lovely, earthy, huh? You can feel it, there you are. Okay. Nice to witness a master in action. Start from the beginning and take it right through to the end. You can always adjust the seasoning right at the end before you send it off. But, uh, I'm going I'm to fry What happens when onions uh, when onions fry? There's a lot of uh, lot of acids that uh, are converted into sugar. So the slower and longer you cook onions, that's why they come that becomes so much sweeter. But eventually, there had to come a time when the Create Your Plate party were actually going to eat. All right, there are more menus behind you. All right, so if you can't see that, choose a, choose a spot. Otherwise, you can just listen to me. Okay. On the starters, the first option tonight is a seafood broth. What I've done there is we've got some lovely fresh angel fish, which we've done with some calamari steaks, West Coast mussels, and some prawns. And that is done in uh, saffron white wine with some uh, tomato. And that is then finished off with some angel hair pasta. And it's then drizzled with a caramelized chili ginger sauce. And then the last one we have there is the local goat chevre, which is wrapped in puff pastry that is then uh, baked off in the oven and that is then served with a creamy porcini mushroom and sherry sauce. Take note of that one, you're going to be preparing it tomorrow. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Moving on to the mains. The first, the, uh, the first option on the mains is our famous burger. Okay, it's a wild boar, apple and sage burger patty of about 160 grams. That is grilled. It's then served on a panini, which we then top with some onion marmalade and gorgonzola cheese. And that is served with some, uh, some potato fries. Served with some coriander toast on the side. 
And then lastly, but certainly not least, okay, this dish was prepared for Mother's Day and it flew out of here. So unfortunately, I've only got two portions left, okay, but it is fantastic. It's a wild boar piglet ribs braised inside a with apples okay what I've done there I, I got my hands on some little piglets okay and uh, we, 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 we used everything else and we left with these ribs okay and anyway we, uh, we braised it with cider for a couple of hours we then re uh, removed it. it's nice and tender we then uh, we pulled out the bones and that we then uh, did with some apples and mustard and uh, that we then uh, we then served that on some brown rice uh, that's then topped with some cabbage done with some uh, some green beans Wow. Any questions? Well, just on the subject of baby pigs, something else the Wellington area is famous for are boars, wild boars. Uh, what happened is the wild boars, they've, uh, in the 1920s, they had a uh, pest in the pine plantations and they brought these wild boars over from Europe to combat the pest that they had. And obviously, they've escaped, they've interbred with the domestic pig and there are thousands and thousands of, of, of them in the mountains around us. And they've obviously become a pest of their own because they're alien, they, uh, they, they dig up for roots, so they destroy all the natural vegetation around you. So, uh, and, and I was going to get to that. And, and, you know, so especially in the summer months when, they, when, you know, when there's no more food on the mountains, they come down in search of, uh, of, of food. Not just that they dig up all vegetable gardens, but they eat grapes by the ton. Rumor has it they prefer the pinotage grape, okay? <laughs> and the, and the, reason, the reason for that is it's one of the earliest sweet, uh, the, the, the earliest ripening grapes. It's one of the sweeter grapes. And what I find amazing is how the, how, how the, the, the meat, especially the color of the meat, changes through the seasons. You know, it all depends on what they've, what they've been eating. So uh, people ask me, you know, what is wild boar meat like? And I said, well, it depends on the season. You know, sometimes it's dark, sometimes it's light, but it's not as gamey as, as venison, but it is a lot me leaner than a, than, a, than a domestic pig. So, uh, as a chef, it's a brilliant problem to have in the area. Okay, yeah. and uh, I believe uh, Tilbach Nature Conservation have now permanently employed two guys just to hunt these pigs. Well, now that all the secrets of Wellington had been revealed, the party had both created their plates and eaten well, and the only thing left to do was celebrate. At the moment, we are opening a bottle of Cup Classic to enjoy with this beautiful view on this jetty with the moon, nearly full moon, in view. Definitely time to leave Wellington and all its talented residents. In peace. And if you'd like to know more about the Wineland Vitamins creative courses, check their Facebook page, it's Wineland Vitamins, or mail halleray at breitenbachcentrum.co.za. Well, that was Creating in the Winelands, presented uh, and compiled by me, Nancy Richards, with technical assistance by Rob Parkin.